should say that that pattern with the clapping goes back to when I was in seventh grade, and my uh, band, uh, jazz band teacher, and it's a song that's never let we we came up with that um, in class one day. All right, um, if you would, uh, you don't have a sermon outline. Sometimes I provide an outline. Uh, not today. This is kind of an introduction uh, to the Jesus Son of God series. But in the bulletin, the the gospel reading, the third reading, it'd be helpful if you had that in front of you. Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to reread it at this point, but we will be covering it as we go through the, the message this morning. Well, in 12 days, Donald J. Trump, and the J stands for John, will be sworn into office. And, and we call this swearing into the office of presidency inauguration, right? And an inauguration is, is really a big deal. Presidents of the United States, going back to Washington, each one of them is inaugurated. Kings are inaugurated. It's important that we understand what the word means, inauguration. The online dictionary defines inauguration as a noun. It's the beginning or introduction of a system, policy, or period. So this will be the beginning of Donald J. Trump's presidency. It is, secondly, the formal admission of someone to office, the president of the United States. Thirdly, it's a ceremony to mark the beginning of something. Well, today, as we begin a brand new sermon series, we want to focus in the inauguration not of Donald J. Trump or any other president, but focus in on a person far more powerful than any earthly president, and for that matter, far more humble than any earthly president. And that is the inauguration of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sometimes people think that Christ was Jesus' last name. Not, not true. Jesus would be the stepson of Joseph, and he probably, growing up, was known as you know, the, the stepson or the, the son of Joseph, even though we know that Joseph was not his earthly father. Christ is Jesus' office. It's not much different than the president, but it's the Christ, the anointed one. And today, we begin this sermon series, the inaugural year of Jesus, at his official inauguration, and the inauguration is his baptism. Now, if you will, look at the opening verses of Mark's Gospel, Verses 1 through 2. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So as I mentioned before, Mark's gospel, the very first verse of Mark's gospel, Mark, unlike the other three gospel writers, he doesn't begin at the birth of Jesus, he begins at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is now 30 years old. He's beginning his public ministry as the Christ. Now, if you want, in your, in your bulletin, where it says the beginning of the good news, another word for beginning is inauguration. 
the inauguration, if you will, of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news, the only lasting good news on the face of the planet is right here. The only lasting good news is right here. If you take away Jesus' perfect life, if you take away Jesus' sacrificial death for sinners, if you take away Jesus' rising back from the dead on the third day, we have nothing. We don't have good news. The only news we would have, it's not long-lasting, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. But the Bible says there is good news for mankind. And that good news, that great news, is given to us through the person of Jesus Christ who holds the office of the Christ. And as people gathered here in Jesus' name, we know that Jesus' perfect life was lived for me. He's my substitute. We know that that Jesus' sacrificial death was my death for my sins, that they were paid for and buried in him. And we know that Jesus rising from the dead gives me hope that one day I will rise from the dead. And we know that this life is not it. Death does not have the final word. Life, Jesus' life has the final word, and he's giving it to us as his followers. So Mark begins, the beginning, the inauguration of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So he goes back 750 years before Christ. He quotes Isaiah, as we have done many times here at Lamb of God. Quote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You know, as I speak, it is estimated that two million people are making plans to travel to Washington, D.C. in 12 days to be part of of Donald Trump's inauguration. Two million, that's a lot of people. Uh, What are those people doing right now? Many of them, I'm sure, have never been to Washington, D.C., right? So they're making plans, they've they've, they've booked their, their flight, they're making arrangements to stay in a motel somewhere. Uh, if they've never been to Washington, D.C., they're probably looking at maps and, and GPS and making sure that they, they know how to get there. They're, they're, they're looking for direction. They're, they're making their plans. My guess is that those who are attending, they're, they're probably picking out, thinking about at least what they're going to wear. Maybe they're buying new clothes for that day. Because in their mind... He's the man, right? He's the one who will be inaugurated as the President of the United States. As we look at the inauguration of Jesus, God had it planned all along. We know in the Old Testament, time and time again, for thousands of years, the anointed one is coming. The anointed one is coming. And, and 2,000 years ago it happened. God's way of going about it was he wanted people to be a part of this inauguration of the Messiah. And, and he used a forerunner in order to invite people. Now, for some of the, the younger men here, 
perhaps uh, in their 20s, early 30s. When you hear the word forerunner, you probably think of a computer game. The, the game Halo, the forerunners were an official group of people. For those in their 30s, 40s, 50s, like me, we hear the word forerunner, we probably think of a pickup truck, right? Toyota pickup truck. That's not what's being talked about here. Not a pickup truck, not a computer game, but a forerunner. And the forerunner is a person. And that person we know as John the Baptist. Isaiah describes the forerunner, I will send my messenger, forerunner, ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John the Baptist arrives on the scene. And keep in mind that that John the Baptist and Jesus are related. Go back to our Christmas series, the, the call to Christmas And I pointed out that Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, she's elderly, she becomes pregnant, her only child, and Mary is her cousin. Mary is pregnant with Jesus, she's in her first trimester, Elizabeth's in her third trimester, and they visit each other. And in the presence of of the unborn Jesus, the unborn John leapt for joy, right? They're related. When John was born... He was called by God to be this forerunner of Jesus. John is now 30 years old. That was the respected age in Jesus' day. If you were in your 20s, you simply were not respected yet. Turn 30 and you get respect. John begins his ministry. He probably had long hair. He was a Nazarene, didn't cut his hair. He he wore strange clothing, even for his day. It was camel's hair clothing. Uh, He ate locusts. I'm glad he sweetened up his diet a little bit. He also ate wild honey. And he's out in the wilderness. Even by today's standards, uh, this wilderness is extreme along the Jordan River in Judea. And he's out there in the middle of nowhere, and he's preaching. And guess what? People showed up. Word got out. A prophet, a prophet like one of the Old Testament prophets is here. And he's preaching. And and amazingly, people showed up to hear him preach. And his his preaching was very simple. When asked who he was, he said, I'm not the Messiah. John the Baptist, I'm not the Messiah. And John simply said, I am the voice of one calling in in the wilderness. Meaning, I'm the one that Isaiah talked about. I am the voice calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. And I love that about John. Later, Jesus would say about his cousin John, of those born of men in this world, John's the greatest. And John could have said, when asked, who are you? John could have said, according to Jesus, I am the greatest. He didn't say that. John could have said, you know, I'm of the, of the lineage of my, my father who was a priest, Zechariah. But he didn't brag about that either. Instead, John said, I am merely the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. John made it clear that there's somebody that is coming right after him, and he's the one that he's preparing people for. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John made it very clear that he wasn't even worthy to be a lowly servant to untie the Messiah's sandals. In Jesus' day, there were servants, and if you were a a Jewish person, you could be a servant, but uh, you would not be the lowest servant. Uh, Those that would take off a person's sandals and wash your feet, uh, the Jews would not allow themselves to be that. And yet John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest servant of the one who's coming after me. Because John knew that he himself was a sinner. Yet he knew his message, prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, going back to inauguration, those that are going to inauguration in 12 days, they're getting directions, at least they're making plans. 2,000 years ago, John, in a sense, was preparing people for the inauguration of the Messiah, and he gave them direction. His direction for them was, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah is, is right almost here. The direction is repentance. You see, the word repent means change of direction in your life. And the direction that John said that, that they were to change from was the direction that sin was taking them. Sin, sin does take us places. If I live for myself, if I live for my natural desires, if I live for this world, it's taking me somewhere, and that place is taking me is further away from my Creator God. So to get to the inauguration, John says, turn around. Change your direction. Realize that where sin is taking you is not the right way. Change your thinking. Change your mind about sin. John also directed them, invited them, to be cleansed of their sins. And it was through this this thing called baptism. Baptism Baptism is a washing with water, but John's baptism was a baptism of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, now, sometimes we think that, you know, baptism was something new, something that, um, that, that John introduced, that before this time there was no such thing as, as baptism. That's really not true. The Jews were very familiar with baptism, a, a spiritual washing with water, but they didn't see it as applying to themselves. Baptism was something non-Jews had to go through. Now, now, in the Old Testament, if, if you were a descendant of Abraham and you were, uh, again, a, a, a Jewish descent, um, you, were, you were part of Israel. If you were a non-Jew, you could become Jewish. It took instruction. You had to learn about the, 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 the God of creation. And you had to go through certain things. And, and one of the things that you had to go through was a, a water baptism. 
In, in Jerusalem especially, there, there are springs of water. It's a city on a hill. And, and these springs are, they, they come up and they, they, they flow. There's streams that flow from the springs. One is the Pool of Siloam. And I meant to have a slide. I, I'm sorry, I forgot to put it on the screen. We're going to look at the Pool of Siloam here in a few weeks. Because there was a man born blind, the lame and the, 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 the cripple, would, would, cripples would, would be there at the Pool of Siloam, hoping to be healed. And Jesus is going to perform a healing there. We're going to see this in, in a few weeks. But it's a very shallow pool. And, and from the Pool of Siloam, um, a stream would flow, and it was very common in, in, in Jesus' day that non-Jews, to become Jewish, you'd have to sit in the water as the, the stream is flowing around you, and it was called a baptism. And entire families, this was a process that was done. Now, for John, the baptism part wasn't new, but what was new is that this is for everyone. This is for Jews as well as Gentiles. And, and, and John said, repent, change your thinking about sin, and be baptized, be washed with water for the forgiveness of sins. And amazingly, thousands were. Again, th- these were people that, that deep down they knew, something's not right with me. I have guilt, I have shame, I've done things wrong. I want to be clean. I want to be right with God. And, and John said, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And when Messiah comes, you follow him. I'm not the Messiah. So in a sense, John prepared the people of his day for the inauguration of Jesus the Messiah. Now we're told in verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This was a big deal. When Jesus showed up, again, they're, they're related to each other. We know from the other Gospels that John said, no, I need to be baptized by you. I'm not worthy to take off your sandals. You're asking me to baptize you, Jesus the Messiah? And Jesus said, yes. Do this, John, to fulfill all righteousness. I've come to take the sinner's place. I'm to be baptized today. And so that's exactly what happens. John consents, and Jesus goes into the water of the Jordan, and he is baptized by John. Verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What John experienced that day is phenomenal. John baptizing Jesus was actually able to see heaven being torn open. And we're told that the the Spirit of God, this is the Holy Spirit, fluttered down descended from heaven and and landed on Jesus as he's coming out of the water. God the Father then spoke. What what, what did it sound like? God speaking. This is my son whom I love. With him, Jesus, I am well pleased. Now you need to know that there's only one other place in Scripture where the Holy Spirit of God is described as flying like, like a bird. And it goes back to creation. 
At creation, God speaks, and, and the, the universe comes into existence. And we're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when, he, when God created the, the, the earth, that the Spirit of God was fluttering over the waters. Flash forward, flash back for us 2,000 years, the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit flutters over the, the waters of the Jordan. Jesus coming up out of the water. The Holy Spirit there. God the Father speaking. We know as well from John's Gospel, going back to creation, God the Father is there. Jesus is the Word. The Word that became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The, the, the mystery of the Trinity is, is right there during creation. And now, at Jesus' baptism, we have God the Father speaking, God the Son, the perfect natural-born Son of God, and God the Holy Spirit. In 12 days, the inauguration of our next president, there are a lot of people going to be there. There's going to be close family there as well. There are going to be people that have special invitations to be part of the, 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 the close group at the inauguration. At Jesus' inauguration, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and then John the Baptist. We look at this, and we, again, we, we see the, the Trinity. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author who fought in World War I in England, and then in World War II was there in England, he described the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as a sort of dance if you will, that, that the, the Father gives glory to his Son. This is my Son, with him I'm well pleased. Jesus gives glory to God the Father in everything he did. The Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives glory to God the Father. The, the Trinity, that, that, that it's one God, fundamentally, yet three distinct persons. And the Trinity is not that, that, that God is more fundamentally one than he is three, it's not that God is more fundamentally three than he is one. The one God is, is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father again said, this is my Son, with him I am well pleased. He didn't say, I'm well pleased with John. He says, I'm well pleased with Jesus. My friends, Jesus is the anointed Savior of the world. John the Baptist, Savior our Savior as well. And I want to continue on in our text just a little bit. This will kind of be a preview uh, for next week. So he's baptized. He comes out of the water. With him I'm well pleased. Verse 12, at once the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sent him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Normally, after inauguration of a, of a president, there's something called the honeymoon period, right? Where even people not of the political party of the new president, there, there's a honeymoon period, and who knows whether there will be this time here in our country. But normally there is. When it comes to Jesus Christ, when he began his public ministry, anointed, inaugurated, there was no honeymoon period. Immediately the anointed Son of God, goes out into the wilderness with the wild animals, bears and lions and other, things, other animals out there. But we're going to see next week, Satan also shows up. 
the Son of God, is put to the test. Adam and Eve fell right away into sin. Will Jesus, the Son of God, fall into temptation? Next week, we're going to see a temptation like none other as we walk with Jesus during those 40 days in the wilderness. One more verse this morning, and that's verse 14. It wasn't part of the text that I read earlier, but it says this in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. John the Baptist would get arrested because of his message. John told Herod, you too are to repent. And you're having your relation. Herod had an improper sexual relationship with his sister-in-law. And John the Baptist said, no, that's not pleasing to God. God's calling you to repentance too. And Herod had John arrested. And we're going to see here in a few weeks that John then is beheaded. So what does Jesus do after the wilderness? John's arrested in prison. Jesus, the Messiah, goes out with the exact same message. Repent. Change your thinking about sin, where it's taking you, and believe the good news. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, is coming back. He came the first time to this world 2,000 years ago in humility. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. If you will, there's going to be a second inauguration where everyone will recognize exactly who Jesus is and every knee will bow to him. My message to you is the same as John the Baptist, the same as Jesus Christ. Repent. Sin is something that's part of our lives. Realize the danger of sin. Realize that sin is not taking you closer to God at all. It's taking you away from God. There is a way out. Change your thinking about your sin, no matter what it is. Turn around. Turn from it. Believe the good news. See that, that, that Jesus is your Messiah. He's the one who successfully suffered and died with your sins. They're buried in him. He is the one who rose from the dead. He's conquered death. He's defeated Satan. He is your strength. He is your Lord. He is your Messiah. Amen. May the true peace of God